Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, CEO of ScaleX.ai and the AI for Sales expert and host of AI for Sales on C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV. And today I'm here with Robert Chow, uh, and he is the co-founder of a really cool company called CN. And we're going to dig into how they're leveraging AI for things like deal intelligence, value intelligence, and for better coaching of sales professionals. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation for a while. Robert, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much, Chad. Excellent to be here. And you're in Barcelona, which is one of my, it's probably my favorite place on planet Earth. And that's why we went back a second time. <laughs> How's yeah. Barcelona? It's, it's good. It could be better. You know, we could be out partying, but we're still doing a fine here. I went skiing last weekend and uh, had a nice time. And um, I know you're in Denver, so I, I assume that you have a chance to do that too. Lots of skiing. Uh, I think I'm on day 15 for the year, which is about one fourth of what some of my friends do, but 15 is enough for me. <laughs> well, thanks for joining today. Um, I like to get our audience to kind of understand, you know, you as a person before we dig into AI, because the elephant in the room is AI is going to replace everyone and we don't need people anymore. And, and I've found over the last three years, that's the farthest from the truth. It actually uh, helps humans do better and sell more and, and those kinds of things. So um, help, tell, help us understand, you know, where were you raised? What, what did you, what was your passion when you were, you know, younger in your younger days in life? Sure. Well, I, I grew up in Sweden um, and the, when I was little, I, the one thing I loved to do was to build things build tree houses, build cars, build boats, all of those things. Some of them floated and, and some of them just, you know, crashed and burned. But um, we just did a lot of stuff. And, and then I got into, you know, motorcycles and so forth. But, and then I had a period where I was a heavy metal guitarist too. But, we, we, you know, I've done a lot of things, but all of it comes down to building things. So when I had an opportunity, I went to the uh, States to go to college and of course, when you, when you do that, when you're 20 years old, you fall in love. And I, I did that too, and, and ended up staying in Miami um, and going to software. Uh, got a computer science degree from, uh, from Florida International University. Got it, that's excellent. My son right now is 19 and at Colorado School of Mines, and he was thinking electrical engineering, and now he's thinking computer, uh, computer sciences. So I'm, I'm proud and excited for him. Um, how does that, I, I think I already know the answer, but if you were creating things then and in software, you're also creating things for customers. Is that kind of the common thread Absolutely. between those two? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a creative process, right? I mean, it's imagining what couldn't happen before. And I've been fortunate to be doing this for almost 25 years now. So I've seen all of the things that just started when the web came out. And I was like, you should be able to make programs and not just these web pages that are accessible on the internet. And that those, in those days, it was super difficult. You know, the tools were so clunky. And then, of course, a few years later, the whole concept around SaaS started. I was a pioneer in that. And we built some great businesses around that. I shifted from being a, a corporate programmer into more of an entrepreneur. And we built a, a business around real estate technology that became very successful and then we did build another one around real estate travel uh, or short-term rentals 
that also had a big exit. So that's that's been my background. What are your thoughts on if if you liken the internet in the kind of mid nineties, I think is probably when it really spiked. And then, you know, it's transformed everything of how we buy, interact, get the news, all of it. Uh, what role does AI play? Will, will that be bigger? Will it just be an add-on to the internet? Or do you think it'll be? Uh, I think we're two AI geeks sitting here talking. So yes, of course, I agree with you hundred percent. It will be bigger uh, because it is while the internet and the mobile revolution and all of those things, they enable connectivity of computing. Um, what what uh, AI enables is the cognitive aspects of, of humanity can be transferred to some degree into the, to the cloud, right? And there are so many things that we as humans do uh, and we do okay and we do poorly um, that can be, you, you can use, um, AI technology to do much, much better and much greater scale. That doesn't mean that you will be replaced as a human uh, because everything will be automatic. It will mean that the things that you're truly great at as a human will be the things that you spend the most time at and not these more menial tasks or, or uh, these types of things that are human biases tend to, to really mess you up where you kind of, for example, in sales, you, you keep working on these three accounts that are you know, dead horse, beating a dead horse, so to speak. An AI could tell you, listen, you're probably not spending them, your, your time the best way. I, I had a conversation this week with a professor from Princeton University, and he talks about AI. And he said the one simple thing at the very end of the podcast that we did, actually, we haven't recorded the podcast. This was the prep call, so it's not out yet. Um, but he said, the number one thing a rep can do, if they're not using software, they should just think this because he's done multiple studies on it for a decade, is go after accounts that have at least a possibility of spending more money, right? Not that right. they definitely will, but if you're going to spend time with a customer who might pay you $250 a month and you're like, I'm positive, that's all they're ever going to pay me, or I'm pretty positive that's all they're ever going to pay versus oh, that company's Series A funded. They've got $4 million in the bank, which means they'll probably go to a B, which means they've got unlimited money. It's better to spend more time prospecting into companies who have the ability to spend more money. And it's such yeah. a simple thing, but I'm sure that's one of the points of the algorithm that you look at is time of the sales cycle, title of the decision maker. There's so many things that can go into that. How does yes. how does it um, how does AI provide more insight than than a human? Well, AI provides insights in a different way. Um, as a human, you can absorb information from all of these different sources of, of of data. You have the common sense, the context, and so forth. But until now. Most data analytics has, everybody's been sitting at these meetings in a corporate boardroom and you look at some slides and someone raises their hand and say that the data doesn't quite make sense. And then someone else explains, well, we couldn't take into account this thing here because we don't have that in the data, et cetera, et cetera. With, with, uh, with AI, it's possible to measure those of the, some of those things that were previously unmeasurable. 
Like for example, how good is a rep in communicating? That is possible today. So if you knew that you have a bunch of reps that are not great at communicating, then you need to work on that, right? Or, uh, or how good is this type of lead that are coming in for this channel? If you don't take that into account, it may seem like you're doing fantastic because you got a hundred leads, but in actuality, those leads have much lower value than, than, than the ones that you had from the prior quarter, for example. Yeah, that's huge. I get it. Um, I just brought on a CFO recently, a fractional CFO, and her mm -hmm. top three questions. How many leads do you have that are active? What's the close percent? And what's your average deal size? Mm -hmm. and, and that's what she looks at. Well, if you have rep A versus B versus C versus D and E, all five of them are going to have different numbers and conversion rates. And so if, if the AI can identify, hey, this person has a 20% close rate and that person has a 70, then, you know, you can skill coach to the gap. And, and, or, and to, or move and on from that employee in some cases. Yeah. And to determine what the reason is for the skills gap. Is it a problem in communication we just talked about? Or is it just an effort problem? Or is it, a, you know, that killer instinct, the closing skills that are, are missing? Or is it that they're just, you know, not able to understand the industry and product well enough to, for the prospect to engage with them? So... Each one of those things can be measured using AI. There are so, so many new things that have come out. For example, something called natural language processing that allows you to analyze content from emails, for example, and see if the rep is talking about the right stuff or not um, during a conversation. So I think we're talking about deal intelligence is what this conversation is. Let's pivot to the value intelligence. What does that mean? How does AI get leveraged in that area? Sure. Value intelligence is, is a concept that we have not seen anybody else bring out to the market yet. And we think that that's crazy because the only thing that matters in the world of sales is of you delivering value. And what's the easiest way to be a great salesperson? Yeah, have a bunch of great accounts that keep calling you and ordering more things. And yeah. sometimes we're lucky to be in that situation, but most of the time we're not. So those people that are getting big, big quota numbers just from doing that, that's one aspect of it. But if there are people that can take cold leads and turn those in, the, the prospect into those, turn it into interest, then open up new logo deals uh, uh, and, and win some of those. That is an excellent salesperson. The difference was one person received a lot of value and the other person received very little value. And then even if the second person didn't sell quite as much, maybe the first person sold for $2 million a year and the first, second person sold for a million, the second person is a better sales rep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a great author, if you haven't heard of Keenan, who wrote a yeah. book called Gap Selling. Do you know Keenan? Yeah, I love Keenan. Yeah. I mean, his ability to articulate what's the dollar value of solving the gap, right? It, when he does the selling you the pill example, if you have a headache and it's like, well, nothing's going to happen if I buy that pill, well, then maybe I'll pay you five bucks to make it go away. But if you have a million dollar proposal due at noon and uh, I'll say, then you might pay $10,000 for that pill, right? So yeah. it's interesting because I think being able to, to track and understand which reps are able to sell 
to value and and build what the gap looks like i think that can't be overstated because it's very very important yeah all right so that's the value piece and then coaching um there's a friend of mine who who runs a company in utah and I remember at a Dreamforce, I think it was a couple of years ago, he presented and he said, most people have a CRM strategy uh, related to pipeline stages, you know, discovery, presentation and demo, objection handling, send out the, all those six, seven, five stages, whatever, but yeah. only four to 5% have a coaching process similar to that. And he showed how if, if you implement a coaching process that's similar to measuring pipeline stages, that you're, you know, 30, 50, 100% increase in sales. I, yeah. I have to believe, and, and I hadn't seen anybody else out there trying to go after that one until today. It sounds like well, you guys are doing that. Today's your lucky day. <laughs> uh, so the way... So we just talked about some of these skills a minute ago, you know, whether someone is a great communicator, we call that engagement ability, for example. And we talked about whether someone knows the product and, and uh, can articulate uh, the, the value proposition in an industry. That's, we call that discovery skills. Closing ability, that's pretty obvious. And then, you know, work effort, that's also pretty obvious. So the question has always been, and, and, and this is what, how I got into this whole thing. I am not originally from sales, as we talked about. I'm from, from the geek side of the, of the house, so to speak. Um, was that I was the um, business uh, manager, business leader for, for a fast-growing organization. We went from two to 100 reps in three years, which was ex super exciting. It turned into a billion-dollar business. But I was always asking myself, why are we not selling more why, why were you selling 50 times as much as we did when we had two reps, right? And I was asking, why isn't Joe selling more, right? Oh, he's a little bit lazy. Oh, why isn't Sarah selling more? Oh, uh, she doesn't know the product yet. She always needs to have help and so forth. And I was like, there's got to be a way to measure those things. And of course, you can't just measure them from the standard Salesforce reports because that information is not in there. So we figured out ways to measure it from you know, the metadata that you have in the Salesforce uh, instance or, or whatever CRM you have. And a lot of it comes out to if you can hit certain outcomes and then compare and contrast to how that happened in, in the peers. Right. So it's not, it probably usually doesn't come down to the company didn't give me enough leads. <laughs> that could be one variable. Um, That's a variable that, that you as a sales leader can control. Yeah. But you, the, the, the coaching intelligence is the stuff that the rep themselves can control, right? And whether they are making a continuous effort to up their game. And, and if you ask a rep, they will always say, yeah, I am. But, 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 but it's not always measurable and it's not always progress that can be seen step by step. And we always talk about, you know, what, how long does it take for a rep to ramp? And then you answer is usually, oh, it takes six months. And we all know that... <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it takes six months, sometimes it takes forever. And, and yeah. sometimes we find someone that is amazing after two, right? Yeah, right. Or two weeks in some cases. They just have the ability to figure out the gap yeah. <laughs> and other smart people to help, help close the gap. Um, how does the software, I'm trying to, to think about how it would actually work. Does it give the manager 
bullets to coach on? Does it actually yeah. talk to the rep or, you know, at what level is this no. so coaching? Our team? primary use case is what we call the data-driven one-on-one. So we're all familiar with one-on-ones and a lot of them are kind of wasted time. Managers don't really like doing them because they don't want to talk about problems. You know, reps feel kind of under the gun and, and maybe bring in some, you know, what I call phantom pipeline. That's something we can kind of dissect the deal intelligence because there are telltale uh, telltale signs of a real pipeline and 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 a phantom pe- <laughs> pipeline does not have those things right yeah um uh so the data-driven one-on-one is all about what are the results number two um uh how does the pipeline look now and is it is it real or not right number three how have you been spending your time um, doing a lot of prospecting or doing a lot of, you know, upselling to existing accounts, whatever it is that you, you have done. And then the number four is what are the skills or behaviors or preventing you from doing better? And we can calculate that and we call it the potential. So maybe you sold for, for 200,000 in the quarter, but there might very well be that if you just address one or two shortcomings, you could sell for 400,000. And then the final thing, which is the key key aspect, is that you record all of this stuff, you you document it, and then you do it again next month, and then you do it again next month, and all of a sudden you go from, oh yeah, we should be working on this stuff too. Here's the problem. Here's the improvement. Here's the increased results. Is there a case study that you could share? And you, you know, you may not need to share the company name, but how many reps are on the team? What, what was the yeah. as is, and then what was the after? Absolutely. So i happy to, to share. We, we work with all types of companies. The most exciting ones are the ones that are around 100, 200 reps, where there's two or three different um, uh, divisions or, or departments. Maybe there's an SMB department and a, um, uh, a mid-size and an enterprise. And the sales leadership goes in and, and, and have all of these strategic questions that of course, if there are, are you know, experienced sales leaders, they know a playbook. What we can do is to give them data to either validate that playbook or to decide that, hey, there's more information here that we have never seen before, never thought about before, and perhaps we should try something different. And that's, that's what we have. And then we can also do, when you're doing the data-driven uh, one-on-ones, you bring accountability to the reps. But equally important is to bring accountability to the managers, especially the mid-level managers that are out there. Because what is what, what do you have them for? You know, today in most sales organizations, I see the parachute manager. You know, he parachutes in and saves the deal because he has a little bit more experience. He's a little bit more refined with the you know senior executive and so forth. And that's cool. But a really great manager would allow for the reps to get to that point and not just save the day as a hero every single time, but you know, continuously bring increased performance for, 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 for each of the reps on, on their team. Wow. Well, I've, I've had a handful of companies. So my company focuses on top of funnel, mainly outbound. Yeah. And yeah. what I find is even if you crank up the activity knob by 10x at 10% of the price, because that's what we do. We use technology to move the needle at a high quality level. So even if you're doing outbound properly and 
the value of fixing the middle of funnel by far outweighs not to belittle my own technology, but it, it really, the value of moving an entire group that are selling and closing to a higher percentage. Yeah. I mean, the math just works out into, to your point in a hundred, 200 person company, it's millions of dollars and it's, and it can happen in a quarter or two when you start honing in on these skill sets. What happens yeah. if you increase your close rate by 3%? And then by 5% and by 15%, well, 15% of hundred million is a lot of money. <laughs> right. And what you started with, you know, going after that potential of the deals, right? That, so that, that all of a sudden you have an understanding of um, whether you can maximize. That's another skill that we're tracking that what we call deal maximizing, which is the ability to, you know, turn each account into more money. What one thing that I would give you as feedback or something to think about is that quite often your point was when you go from two to a hundred, how do you get the other 98 up? Why doesn't it just scale just like it did with the first two? Um, one, one feature that I would love to see in an application like this would be show me my bottom 20%. Yeah. Like, and, and show me before they miss their number at the end of the quarter or the end of the year. Because if you're, if you can show me that quicker, then I can probably get by with the team of 80 versus a team of a hundred. And then how do I move some of the funnel from the 20 over to the top performers or the middle performers and right. getting that optimization. Correct. I think people could be working with leaner teams with technology um, than, than they traditionally have been. We, we, we just finished a video with that. We call it the tale of two ramping reps. It does exactly that, where you are seeing month by month, what are the signals of a great versus a failing rep and um, understanding that it's, you know, you can see these, these patterns long before someone either makes or, or, or not makes quota. That's awesome. Um, last question, what do you think the future of AI holds um, to me, one of the big questions is around ethics, because yeah. whoever programs the technology gets to insert their ethics. So it seems to me chief ethics officers will be a thing of the future. What are your uh, thoughts it, on that? There's obviously a tremendous amount of conversations and concern around bias, data security, uh, privacy, all of those things. We work a lot in making sure that those things are not considerations when we are making analysis. We never kind of try to determine the gender or 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 anything like that of, of, of a prospect or a rep. Those things should be isolated out and not taken into account. And at the same time, we try to make sure that we have masked all personal identifiable information, et cetera. This is a big concern for, for most um, sales uh, or for most IT organizations and for most corporations. So we spend a lot of time on that stuff. But so I think that those things can be sold. They are being sold in various ways right now in different industries and they can be sold in AI for sales as well. Um, what I'm really excited about is to go, so you are in AI for sales, I am in AI for sales, but the vast majority of sales leaders are still are not yet truly in AI for sales. There's some people that are getting benefit from you know, automated deal 
scoring. And there are some people that are getting benefits from kind of automatic call scoring and so forth. The big thing is when you take all of this data that that's usually really bad quality, try to make sense of that bad quality data, fill in the gaps or fill in the blanks, so to speak, and then start understanding the entire sales process where what happens during you know, lead gen, what happens during prospecting, what happens in the first deal, what happened after that, you know, because then you can either screw it up or not. And then are you able to kind of turn that from a maybe a $50,000 deal into a million dollar deal? And if you can't do that, just like we talked about before, all of a sudden, you know, you have that very, very rapid multiplier uh, of delivering value to the, from the sales team. Yeah, that's great. Well, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, cn.ai, C-I-E-N.ai. And uh, how could they get a hold of you directly, Rob? I'm on LinkedIn, Rob Cal, and it's going to ask uh, for your my email. And that's rob.cal, K-A-L-L at cn.ai. Outstanding. All right. Well, thank you for joining the AI for Sales show today. It's been a pleasure. I think uh, out of everybody that I've talked to over the last 12 to 15 months on this topic, uh, you clearly have some advanced 401 level thinking on it. So it's always a pleasure to talk Thank with you. someone. That was very kind of you. And, and I really enjoyed the conversation, Chad. Keep up. Good right. job. I listened to some of your other ones. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody.